0: It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If If you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Sandarez, and Jerry is the superintendent of the Santa School District. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: To kick us off, a little bit about what you do, uh, a little bit about the district, and and your role.
1: Sure, we're a district of about forty one thousand students. We're in the heart of Orange County, Southern California. Um we are a very high dense populated area and uh a blue collar area that is socioeconomically uh disadvantaged and so we have a lot of blue collar workers and uh and uh you know just uh, challenged challenge with the the challenges that come with um uh, a, a high-density population that uh, is trying to, you know, survive economically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you sharing about that. Um, uh, story, Jerry, let's start Bye. by um, asking about growing up, you know, when you were when you were growing up, what were some of the moments or themes that really shaped you into the person that you, you are you. today?
1: yeah no uh growing up it was uh, i'm the youngest of three uh, children and there was a 10 and 11 year difference between my siblings and myself and uh, my my parents were blue-collar workers they worked graveyard in uh, different shifts to be able to stay home and take care of the family best their ability Um, so but education really wasn't really a priority or wasn't a focus uh, at the time, it was, you know, just trying to do your best to put food on the table, roof over our heads. And I think uh, the thing that kind of resonated with me was uh, growing up was the fact that, you know, uh, we had to, we had to, my siblings and myself had to oftentimes get uh, jobs during uh, school in order to help offset the family income because uh, my parents were seasonal workers. And it was just, um, you know, the work ethic, I think that's where we instilled the work ethic in in ourselves as growing up uh, in that type of home environment. And just remembering the various jobs that we had and really uh, work being more of a priority than education. But over time, things changed and um, they changed as a result of my parents really wanting me and my siblings to not have to do the work that we were doing uh, or that they were used Doing and they wanted us to have a better life and really um, did their best to steer, to steer us away from yep. the, the blue-collar uh, work and more towards the educated work. They have the knowledge and skill set to help us with homework, but they did have the work ethic and, and the words to encourage us yeah. to do better.
0: What, what, what. Yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's amazing. About how they prioritize that for you in terms of your education. Um, do you remember your first leadership opportunities? You were maybe it was when you were really little, maybe it was in your twenties. You know, where you was sport or you know a chance to actually take on a project, a chance to lead a group of people. What comes to mind?
1: So it was. It was in sports, and it was in. Uh, I played baseball growing up. And I had the opportunity to be a catcher, and and in some sense, a catcher in a baseball team is kind of like the captain of the team. And recalling pitches, we take some positions based on the batters that were coming up. But at a very early age, I really kind of um, had the opportunity to feel for that type of leadership, and I really it really made me feel valued. It made me feel important. And because my responsibility was, you know, at a very young age to kind of pull people together and make sure we were functioning um, to, be, to the ability collectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so what happened for you after sort of school and, you know, tell us a bit about your journey uh, from that point and, and sure. you know, your first sort of opportunities um, in work and
1: the like? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, like I said, we, we education wasn't academically it was It was our goal. Uh, but it, it, it graduating from high school, I wasn't the, the smartest student in class. And so uh, as my friends were getting letters, uh, college acceptance letters to four-year universities, I... Was uh, facing life after high school, um, and not knowing what I wanted to do. I wanted to get an, an education, education, but I didn't really. I went to a community college. And and I mean, some experiences there that were similar to high school. I Ended up getting uh, moving from one community college to another based on academic probation, and um, really struggled to try and be a good student because I had to work and I had to, to go to school at the, at the time. And so long story short is I ended up uh, graduating. It took me about 12 years to graduate with a four-year degree. And when I did graduate, I graduated from a state college with a degree, with a degree in finance and ended up getting a job uh, as an accountant not necessarily the job that I wanted uh, with a business degree, but I ended up getting a job as an accountant and very quickly realizing that it was a job that I did not enjoy one bit. And um, I remember going to work every day at a desk, a computer, you know, crunching the numbers and not really being able to interact with anybody or having the ability to kind of just get out and grow as a, as a professional and so my wife was going to school to be a teacher at the time, and she said, hey, why don't you get your, go back and get your transcripts analyzed and become a substitute until you figure out what you want to do. So I went and got my transcripts analyzed, and because I had a degree in finance, I was able to teach math. And the math at that time was a very high demand area. So rather than subbing, they uh, disregarded me as a math teacher. And at that point, I knew I was in the right place and never looked back.
0: Wow, yeah, that's um, incredible. So as you've, as you've been um, grown in, uh, you know, as an educator, but also as a leader, are there any mentors that, that come to mind who have been particularly influential along the way that you've led with or you've watched them lead from?
1: Absolutely, I, I, have, I have numerous mentors that have tapped me on the shoulder that have uh, guided my decision-making, that have encouraged me when I didn't believe I was the right person for the job, leadership positions, uh, numerous individuals that um, have made me the superintendent that I am today. And if you were to ask me when I graduated from high school or even college, uh, if I ever thought I was gonna be a superintendent in public education or ever wanted to, um, the answer would be no. I never, in my wildest dreams, that I believe I would be uh, running a large urban school district uh, like I am right now, because education was more of a challenge for me um, as I was growing up and, and evolving in my career.
0: Yeah, I think and I think your story is is incredible, and uh, I can reflect, you know, to, to actually achieve so much when like you said if, if 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 anyone had even asked you back then you wouldn't have had any idea um, that you would be doing it Maybe even that you had the potential to do this I, I don't know you can you can answer that but i think you you're a, you're doing a in- how have you been able to do that from a place where like you have been some of the in that way after I think no idea <laughs>
1: you'd be yeah back then. well I, I, you know as and i get asked that question a lot you know as i've evolved as a superintendent in various uh, platforms but i think the thing that keep, that i keep going back to is somebody seeing something in me that i didn't somebody tapping me on the shoulder and saying you need to do this I'm there to support and encourage my uh, thought process and my the validation that i do belong capable of being a leader, whether it's uh, taking on a lead as a classroom teacher or uh, previously I was a high school principal and then um, move on, moving on to district office positions where ultimately now I'm, I'm the superintendent running, um, running the entire district and the operations. But it, the, what, what, what it was is people just seeing something in me and believing in me where I did not see that capacity or believe that I belong.
0: Can you think of some of the moments where people have done that? Uh, mind where you remember having a bit of a epiphany because someone you this is what I see over your life. This is what I see that you're capable of, or uh, you know any any specific stories or moments along the way where people have tapped you on the shoulder.
1: Yes, yes, yes. The most recent one was probably about twelve. 12- about 13 years ago when I first became a superintendent. I was serving as an assistant superintendent in a small urban district in uh, Southern California. And at the time, my current superintendent was, was, was ill. He was often ill and a lot of times he, he would come to work and then have to miss a few days. days. And- so, so a lot of times I, finding, I found substituting for him in various meetings and various functions And finally, it got to the point where his illness just was getting the best of him and he had to retire. And I remember him sitting down with me and saying, Hey, are you ready? And I remember looking at him and going, Ready, you know, having a conversation, ready for what? And he goes, I'm going to recommend you to be the superintendent. And I said, Jim, I said, I don't want the job. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm not ready for it. And he goes, he goes, you're ready for it. You're more than ready for it. And he said something that really hurt me at first, but then reflecting on it really empowered me. And he goes, Jerry, he goes, stop being so selfish. And I looked at him, and I was offended at that comment. And I remember getting upset, standing up and getting ready to walk out the door. And he, he said, don't you dare slam that door. And I, and I paused, and I looked at him, and I said, it's selfish if I want your job, not selfish to say no. And he goes, it's not about you, Jerry, because it's about what you represent. It's about the people that look like you and the role model that you will serve for those that come after you. And we ended up exchanging a few more words, and then I ended up leaving. And I remember going home and not being able to sleep at all that night and waking up in the morning. And I (laughs) leaned over to my wife and I said, hey, I said, you know, how do you feel about me taking the superintendent job and she was like I think you'd be great and I think the only one that didn't think I would be great would be me <laughs> and that's the self-doubt that you know I think growing up in the environment that we had which was you know working class environment trying to struggle for for a lot of things growing up and just that self-doubt that you know it, that wasn't my role or that wasn't my family's role but to be in a position now where I have all of these voices telling me, no, you got this, you can do it. And it really took a leap of faith. And and I ended up saying yes, and I ended up getting the position. But I remember when I got the position, I was like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and um, <laughs> that, again, reaching out to my other superintendent colleagues, colleagues that saw me in meetings for the first time, that saw my, the look on my face and reached out to me and said, hey, here's my cell phone number, we're here to support you. Here are some things that, you know, I experienced when I first became superintendent, please call me and we can talk and we can, you know, walk through this, whatever, this transition. And so that was the moment when my mentor of my previous superintendent really um, changed my, my life and, and really empowered me to become the leader that, that, I, that I aspire to be today. And, and I remember getting oh, the job and thinking- a good story. I remember getting the job and thinking I'm going to be the shortest superintendent in history in this district um, because the job is so challenging, right? And being a new person, not knowing yeah. what, what is really involved. And now I'm in my, I think it's my 14th year.
0: <laughs> uh, there's so much of that story. My um, <laughs> mentor had a lot of guts to say that to you and yeah. um just <laughs> i love i love the uh i love your response of, don't you dare slam that door <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah yeah. yeah what a what a great uh what a great man um <laughs> excuse me i'm interested i think a lot of leaders deal with self-doubt and this imposter syndrome yes. at different levels um it's something i hear all the time and, when i'm working with leaders so a couple of things I hear in that story is you've obviously see. had people who believed in you. You've had colleagues who've said, hey, give me a call, and, and they've you've been able to chat yeah, with, with them. You. People have sort of gone before. Have you learned about self-doubt? For those listeners who might be positioned or, or considering something where they have a lot of self-doubt, how have you learned to manage that and, and overcome it?
1: Well, it's a a constant battle. So I've been doing this for 14 years and, you know, I still feel that uh, imposter syndrome when I go into certain meetings and certain uh, events because I just don't look like others and I don't feel like I'm not a doctor, right? So I I never went and finished and completed my doctorate. I did try to get Get my doctorate. doctorate, but life happened and I had to withdraw from the program but I'm often around a lot of professionals that do have their doctor's degrees. And so um, the self-doubt kicks in even 14 years into the superintendency and 26 years in public education. But the way I, you know, I just overcome it is one, um, the people that reach out to me take advantage of the job alone. There have been times when I tried to do this job alone and I tell a story where I've been in the hospital times throughout my career. All three times they've been stress related and time, which was about seven years ago, for a heart. And my doctor, uh, after running all kinds of tests, came in and he goes, "I got good news and I got bad news." I said, "What's the good news?" He said, "The good news is we ran the X-rays and the tests and everything came back negative." And I a sigh of relief, you know, thinking, "Oh, thank God, nothing's seriously wrong with me." I said, "What's the bad news?" He goes, the bad news is if you don't change what you do, you're not gonna walk out of here next time. And that really resonated with me. And so I was trying to, in turn, to do the job all by myself. I was trying to, to make decisions because I didn't want people to feel like when I asked that I didn't, I was incompetent. And it was really at that point when I'm laying on a hospital bed with oxygen tubes and my nose looking at the lights, on the ceiling thinking this is not worth it. And so the way I've been dealing with it on a daily basis is just reaching out to my network, identifying those professionals that I um, admire, that I respect, and I try to surround myself with those individuals and have conversations off of them. To help guide my decision making process and then make the best decision I can for for me, for my organization. And then the other thing is, the way I kind of uh, get um, like the social emotional help is being um, a mentor to others. And um, places like this, I do not hesitate to take any chance I get to share my story and you know maybe answer any questions that may help others in the profession. Um,
0: what I <laughs> another profound moment with that with the doctor <laughs> talking to you um so in in the past seven years i can hear that one of the big things you've done is, is reached out more proactive even when, when you feel there's something holding you back like you don't want to overload other people or you know but you're actually going no, i'm just going to reach out for help and and to get others involved what yeah. else have you done to manage that stress, stress the job superintendent of school. Right? Yes. So, <laughs> what, have you, what, what else have you found um, that's worked for you in, in how you do life, in that work life? Thank you, you to manage that in the past months.
1: Yeah, uh, well, a couple of things. Uh, for, personally, I do, uh, as, I, well, I, you know, the, the, the normal things like exercise and eat, right, and uh, stuff like that. I, I try and do a lot of reading Um, I think one of the biggest challenges and the thing that helped me the most survive this pandemic and being shut down for two years um, is uh, having uh, book club discussions with my teachers, with students via Zoom. And, you know, it's very interesting where you can take a title of a book and use that that, uh, non-threatening book conversation and really bring out the emotions that people are experiencing at the time through the stories in the book. As you say, hey, you know, this character experienced this. Let me tell you what happened to me the other day. And, yeah. you know, so so what, what happened the past two years is in being as isolated and having the challenges and, you know, the stress of the job, you know, having these periodic book clubs spread throughout the entire two years with different groups really allowed me to have these these conversations, uh, coaching conversations that really allowed me to express my feelings under the umbrella of a book discussion. And so, um, you know, I, I give kudos to my teachers, to my admin team, to my community for showing up and listening and allowing me to share and be vulnerable, but also giving them the opportunity to let me know how they feel, which ultimately impacts some of the decisions we made as a district you know, and safety procedures and stuff like that. So that's one kind of a personal uh, example. And then the professional example and how to navigate, Uh, have a lot of conversations with, with, uh, for me, uh, is our community members, giving them opportunities to share and express, giving students the opportunity to share and express. My labor groups, our our labor unions that we have, in our district we meet with them on a regular basis my leadership team kind of having the same asking the same questions and the same conversations to kind of calibrate how are people doing what are the issues you're facing and and taking this collective feedback and then using that to help guide conversations with my board of education or with my executive cabinet to say okay here's what they're saying here's what we need to do
0: yeah is the is there anything in particular that you do when you're in those meetings like you mentioned the book and i love that because uh for me i i'm a big believer in story and the power exactly how you said it that Mm -hmm. when we're looking at a story there's something about a story that we can step into and telling the story or whether we're reading it reading a book together and using those stories as a as a sort of Sort of opens the gate to explore Brother. other things that otherwise can be hard to yeah. naturally step into with a group of people you're working professionally with or with students. Um, what else have you learned about when you're in those meetings with the different stakeholders? How, how to drive, uh, to how to listen, listen well, how, how to collaborate well. well yeah. It sounds like you. Last couple of years, how have you done that? What have you learned?
1: Yeah, what what I've learned is to talk less and listen more. <laughs> believe it or not you know and so and and the other thing that i've learned that that has really worked out well you know as as much as i like to talk and as much as i'd like to think i'm in charge um i get other people to kind of facilitate the conversations so i can be a listener i can engage in the dialogue i can't facilitate engage at the same time nor can i facilitate and comprehend so i really we either bring staff outside staff to come in and facilitate conversations or we'll assign an internal staff member and um, to facilitate the conversations that will allow me to be in breakout groups or will allow groups to come to me and say, Hey, here's, here are some things that we want to share. And just listen, you know, it's so it's, it's something that's so simple that some people find so hard to do. And I think yeah. Being being better listeners and and doing more listening and less talking is gonna benefit the organization as a whole.
0: It's funny. I was literally talking to someone about this yesterday, and we were we were talking about this this idea. And I said, "Okay, here's, here's a challenge for pause for ten seconds in you your will. conversations." And I I say this all the time, but. Um, I find that this is where people often have the biggest epiphany about, I think what we generally miss is how often when we jump in and talk again, we actually cut someone off or cut off a different thought. And when we stay quiet, particularly for leaders where, you know, great leaders, you want your people to be smarter than you. You want want to have decisions as close to the ground as possible. So you want to do as much, if there's anyone who should be doing, even more listening than, than any other role, it's the leader. And, uh, and so sometimes just practically counting, I know it sounds funny, but that's, that's what's really helped me when I do coaching or when I'm in a, in a room is I sit in the awkward silence and I literally will count. <laughs> if they can't see me, if I am on a phone call, I'll count with my fingers because it's that like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I just, and it's, it's amazing how, um, you know, if you count like, to 10, you, you get to seven or eight. Yeah. And 90% of the time, the person goes, someone else jumps in. You know, someone has spoken up, will, will step in and speak, working and a one- on one second. You yeah. With the thought that those seven seconds, they weren't just sitting there waiting for me at all. They were actually collecting their thoughts. They were actually um, having a, oh, you know, sort of moment. And yeah. I reflect now and I think, wow, I must have missed that so often before yeah. I started pausing pausing more because that's a long time 10 seconds is a long a long time and i feel like listening it it takes it it takes a lot of intentionality and a awkward silence
1: it sure does and you know and a lot of heartaches too because i've i've gotten myself into a lot of trouble with parents with students with uh, labor groups with my board members my bosses um cutting them off or kind of interjecting at a point where they were still trying to express themselves. And over time, I've learned to just different skills and strategies to, to to be a better listener, but also read the room in the sense where if I'm in a collective group and two people are dominating, you know, then some of the strategies I'll do is like, I'll either call on an individual and say, you know, um, Michael, hey, you haven't said anything. How do you feel about what we're talking about? Or uh, if I get a sense that people are just like shy, and and if I call Michael out, then I'm gonna I'm gonna damage his psych, his psyche even more. Then I'll say, hey, uh, let's hear from somebody who hasn't talked yet. And let's hear from a different perspective, or let's hear other ideas from people. So over t- over time, I've been able to, and and again, these are like little tools that i picked up from my mentors uh, observing them in in the meetings that they're facilitating and then um a lot of trainings that you go to you know we have to constantly build our skill and even though we think uh, we this you know i go i like to go periodically to just to to validate i'm on still on the right track or to see if things have changed and um yeah. you know pick pick up those skills
0: have you um have you come across the book Never Split the Difference by like Chris Voss?
1: No, have I haven't you come
0: across that yet. Yeah, it's no, fairly I haven't. recent uh, but it's it's the book that I'm recommending the most to oh, all the people great. at the moment. Yeah, and it's uh, so Chris is an FBI negotiator a hostage negotiator, negotiator who's, who's been in like positions in uh-huh. hostage negotiation. The book is all about the <laughs> FBI me, where they realised um, a lot of the theories around negotiation and, and even listening, uh, wow. when you had a when you have hostages to get free and you've got no room for compromise, they realised that a lot all of the, the tactics weren't working, so they basically went back to square one. and And he talks through what they found from, from trial and error and these incredible stories of how uh, they used all these different philosophies. and It's it's just one of my favourite books, recently. His explanation on mirroring and listening is that uh, it just has, has a different, different angle on it and a different depth yeah. that I haven't come across. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great book for um for listeners, but also, also um, Jerry, I, I you know when you recommend a book and someone comes back and says that was a game, game changer, it's also one of those books. And I'm always uh, aware yeah. when I recommend something, you see what people say, and I every time yeah. I recommend that book split the difference people always come back and say Jono that was that was a game changer I loved every every page so that's uh that's one of the most recent things I've read that I really loved around listening
1: I'm gonna have to add that one to my list
0: yeah (laughs) Um, as we jump into leadership express as we sort of um, move towards wrapping up uh, I'd love to ask you Jerry you've gifted to other people or recommended over the years
1: the most recent one that I'm reading currently is Think Again by Adam Grant. Have you heard of that one?
0: Yes. I, I, well, I have. I, I haven't read it. I need to, to read it. it. Do you follow oh, you, yes. Adam Grant on social media at all?
1: I do, yes.
0: Man, he, he is, is – I, I would say he is probably the most profound, like, everything he writes – always like, where is he getting this? This is just <laughs> – he, he's, he's, he's a brilliant thinker i haven't yes. read it but it's it's i have had it highly recommended so i'll i'll, I'll add that to yes. my list that's great you got um, it. what's a what's a real leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or being reminded of
1: i'm sorry say that again
0: what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time
1: the the importance of reverse mentors having reverse mentors mm-hmm. and and here's what i Here's what i mean by that so as i navigate my career as i as i get older and my thinking or or traditional you know in my thinking it is important for me to have reverse mentors who are in this new and innovative space to keep me grounded as a superintendent to keep me in the know to, uh, make sure that i yeah. understand and and am aware new and emerging trends and you know I don't often get that in my superintendent collaboratives that I uh, am part of because you know we're all roughly the same age and we're all trying to we're all thinking the way that we were taught and based on the leadership's um, uh, evolution of leadership development that we received and what I've what I've been reminded of and really reflected on is how important it, it is for us, for the educational leaders to be in that space where we also have the ability to learn from the new and emerging researchers and educators. And so I have a handful, handful of educators that I highly respect, that I follow on social media, that I that I have in my local networks and my national networks that I tap into periodically and say, hey, you know what? What would you like your superintendent to to do in this situation, or what would you wish your superintendent knew more of? And so that's how I. It's important for me to stay relevant that in that respect. And, and board members are getting younger, teachers are getting younger, parents are getting younger, and they're demanding this this new you know change or this updated skill set.
0: Mm, I love that reverse mentors. I've had. It's come up a few times actually on the podcast, so I think it's brilliant. You mentioned, okay. it, get, mentioned it again. Um, thank you for, for that. Great recommendation. Sure. What What about a uh, a tip? What's one tip you would give, say, to younger leaders about work life balance or work life integration?
1: I would say that um, it, you can't take you can't be an effective leader and you can't take uh, care of others if you don't take care of yourself mentally and physically. And I know as, as, as we evolve and as we begin our careers and evolve in our careers, you know, we wanna do the best we can do for our schools or for our profession. And at some point we have to do a better job of, of learning how to say no to things and to, f- to finding that balance because you don't get the time back. I became a high school principal at a very young age when my mm. two children were very young. And unfortunately I missed out on a lot of their, you know, growing up in that sense and a lot of their activities, weekends, events, because I had to work. And at the time it, it, it felt like the work was important because I had thousands of kids that I had to, I was responsible for and had to take care of, but reflecting on it, you know, I missed out on a lot and I don't get that time back. And so for any new and emerging leader, um, it's important that you just find that balance, and in some cases, you're going to have to have your your friends, your colleagues, your parents, your grandparents, uh, other people just help you help remind you that you know that is important. Put the phone down. That's we, we you know we we make it a priority. To make appointments to go get our haircut or go get our car service. Very rarely do we make time to spend with loved ones or schedule time to you know just be you know, read a book or stuff like that. So that's the yeah, biggest good. reminder and reflection and recommend, you know, just advice that I would give new and emerging leaders.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, mm-hmm. So what is a, uh, a big struggle, struggle or problem the educational leaders facing right now?
1: Well, um, I think the challenge is all. And the political environment in our respective areas, given the mess that's happening across our country, across the state, across the the globe, having to deal with the socio-emotional um, frustrations uh, of being, um, you know, on lockdown for a number of years, and then the anxiety of coming back and either am I learning like I should, or am I teaching like I should, or am I leading like I should, and just, you know, it it just get right now that the emotional state of the adults and the kids is just, it's very challenging right now, which is why a lot of people are leaving the education profession, because Mm -hmm. it's just, they're, you know, it's it's just not as appealing as it was, but we got a lot of stuff thrown at us, and now we have to, you know, it's going to take people to, to, to help navigate through these difficult times. For me, it would be very easy for me to retire. I'm close to retirement age. I've been doing this for a long time. But, you know, I just drawn back to having to see this thing through and, and being able to pass the torch on and leave my district in, in a peaceful uh, manner with direct, you know, with some sort of sense of belonging and, and um, meaning for the community. You know, not that we're doing things right or I'm perfect or I'm say I'll be all, but just... Bringing a sense of calmness and and stability to the district uh, is what what's keeping me coming back. That's great, Jerry.
0: Last question: If you You could only give one piece of of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say?
1: Of leadership advice? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question?
0: Yeah, if you could only give one piece of lead to a young, what would you say?
1: I would say that you belong. Uh, you know, you belong. If you feel, if you feel it, in, if you just people around you, if you, if it's in your heart and your gut, and it's something that you enjoy and are passionate about, just know that you belong. You know, the the, the the career path will take off. People will will tap you on the shoulders and say, "Hey, have you just find what you're passionate about?" learn all about it, be the best at what, what it is and, and then come to the realization that you belong.
0: That's great advice. Uh, well, for those who've really enjoyed listening to you, uh, just, just wondering, wondering if it's anywhere on Twitter uh, that people can find you or
1: follow oh, you, you, Jerry. Yeah, I do have a, a LinkedIn. I have a Twitter. I have an Insta- Instagram and I have a, facebook but i also want to let you know i have two uh i'm also a ted ed innovative educator and i have two ted talks out on the web as well
0: wonderful yeah well people can can check that out that's great
1: yeah
0: uh, well i want to thank our listeners for tuning in and uh today's episode's been a lot of fun and just great wisdom from jerry yeah. and great stories to uh those t- those two stories um, from his mentor and, and then about being in hospital seven years ago have, are really going to stick with me and I know they're going to help a lot of people as well. Um Okay. So uh, don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast that you can go and check out to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Jerry, for being so generous with your time, uh, for sharing. sharing your wisdom with us, like I just said, and uh, and yeah, for just being such a joy to have on the podcast. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict.